Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the worldwide broadcast of the Ted and Austin Brower Show, bringing you the latest world news and health research. Hope you're having an absolutely fantastic day today, and thank you again for all the emails and support of healthmasters.com. We have a special guest on the show today, and so I'm going to hand this over to Dad and let her let him introduce, and uh, this is going to be a great show today, so you guys buckle up, get ready. It's going to be an intense one. How are you doing this morning, Deb? Oh, I'm doing great, Austin. In fact, we're really blessed and privileged this morning to have, to doctor, have Dr. Lee Merritt on the show, and I'm really excited about having her on. In fact, it was Dr. Merritt. I will give her the credit for this. About three or four months ago, I was watching some stuff online, and I watched an interview with her, and she really snapped me tight with this COVID stuff. And I thought I knew it was bad, but I didn't know it was this mad bad. And, and Dr. Merritt kind of you know, got me going in this direction as far as what I tell you guys on an ongoing basis every single day. If you'd like to hear from Dr. Merritt or talk to Dr. Merritt, you can go to themedicalrebel.com. You can also go to her Telegram channel, Freedom Doc. But uh, she's absolutely wonderful, brilliant, articulate. And Dr. Merritt, so good to have you on with us today. And we've got a whole bunch of questions we want to ask you. But let me start off with this. You know, is this really a vaccine or what is this thing they're giving to us with the spike protein? Oh, yeah. No, it's not a vaccine. And thank you. That's I don't know if I can live up to your introduction. (laughs) It's well deserved for you, I promise. Oh no, You know, it really is not a vaccine by definition. You know, a vaccine we think of and this is what they always do. They always say, well, you you believe in smallpox vaccine, right? Or polio vaccine. And everybody says, but that's not what this is. You know, they want to make it say that if you don't believe in in, you know, the term anti-vaxxer, well, we don't call it anti-blood pressure medicine or, you know, just if I didn't believe in all blood pressure medicines that were safe, you know, if I thought one was not so good, that wouldn't make me some kind of evil villain. And that's, that's right. They, they create, it's newspeak. They, it's an Orwellian thing that they create new language to then push their agenda through and not have you really critically think about it. But, but the real issue here is a real vaccine. When we think of smallpox, theoretically, and I'm going to tell you, they've lied to us so much. I'm going back and rethinking all of this, but, but, it, assuming what we did know about smallpox, the, the vaccine kept you from having the disease. It appeared, I mean, it appeared that it was, you know, if you took the vaccine, you simply didn't get smallpox. Well, this is not that. First of all, this is a, it doesn't stop transmission by their own admission. If you look at the, like the Pfizer emergency use authorization that they, the, the data that they put in, they admit it did not stop transmission. And we're seeing that. Look how, how the most cases are in the vaccinated people, you know, around the world. They're not telling you that in the United States, but around the world, that's true. So it doesn't stop transmission, and it really doesn't make all that much difference if you get sick. You know, they claim it decreases in 30, in the EUA for Pfizer said 30% of people will get a diminution in symptoms if they have the vaccine. Now, given all the stuff we've heard about all the bad side effects, the fact that Dr. Hoff in Canada showed that 63% of people taking the vaccine had a positive D-dimer test, which means they're doing microvascular clotting or macrovascular, but they're at least doing, they didn't know they were having a big pulmonary embolism. So presumably this is microvascular clotting, but that's a lifelong problem that will probably kill you eventually. So that's a, that's a devastating number. And that's why nobody's checking it in the drug companies or the university hospitals, but that's a devastating side effect. What does that mean? Well, you know, they didn't really research this stuff. They, they, they pushed it at the, or they did it. They did research it, but not, not for our safety. They pushed it out on us and they really don't have a lot of data, but the data they have does not make it a vaccine. 
that's really your question. Now, the, you know, and the other thing is, keep in mind, we've never these this vaccine has chemicals we've never used in a vaccine before. I mean, uh, PEG, polyethylene glycol is the one that they always mention. But polyethylene glycol is just one of many new new items here. But it it's it's the one that gives you 10 times the risk of anaphylaxis with this. We think uh, anaphylaxis is um, the when your throat closes up, you know, you get hives, you can suddenly stop breathing. It's the kind of thing that kills people after a bee sting, which is why they carry around an epinephrine pen, right? Well, polyethylene glycol is apparently doing that in this vaccine. It's 10 times more than any other vaccine we've rolled out. Um, this also has things like, well, first of all, we've never had a, quote, genetic vaccine. And this has synthetic genetic material. It's not real DNA. It's not real RNA. It's synthetic. They have altered it in ways that do not exist in humans. Just keep that in mind. You know, I had a, had a very good friend who's uh, Mormon. They're Mormon. And they, uh, you know, Mormons don't drink caffeine. And she's asking me about which vaccine her husband should take to keep the job. And I said, let me run this by you. You're worried about, you know, you legally in your religion can't drink caffeine and you're going to take synthetic DNA and RNA into your body. Uh, wow. You know, oh. well, well, let me let me real, let me real quick. Yeah. I was now that Dr. Maris got your attention and she snapped all you guys tight. Uh, <laughs> by the way, she's the first physician to publicly name the COVID-19 virus and vaccine as a bioweapon. Just thought I'd mention that she's so a that- board certified orthopedic spinal surgeon. She is classically trained physician, obtained her medical degree from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry. She served 10 years as a military surgeon providing care to active duty Marines in Japan and Quantico, Virginia. And she's appointed to the Navy Research Advisory Committee as she has studied bioweapons. So Dr. Merritt is really, really, really qualified to discuss this today. And that's why I wanted to bring her on the show. And plus, Dr. Merritt, one of the first things I heard you say, and I want you to kind of cover this with you from a bioweapon standpoint, you said that all of the cats, if I remember right, and all of the ferrets in the first study that was being used with these RNA vaccines probably a decade ago, that they all died of septus. Can you explain to us how that happens? Right. And it was it was a long time ago, just after. Uh, well, actually, they were they've been researching uh, vaccines to coronavirus for a long time in the veterinary medicine. So this didn't start with SARS, but it started with animals and because cats apparently and maybe other animals but i know for sure cats in veterinary medicine they don't just get the common cold with coronavirus they get some kind of like intra-abdominal you know infections or some something that really can take them out so the veterans veterinarians were looking at this and it's not just this technology it's the coronavirus itself if we're really dealing with something that's coronavirus it turns out that that has a bad habit habit of giving you what's called now, they changed the name, antibody-dependent enhancement. And what's that? what that means is I vaccinate the animal or the, potentially the human, we're animals, I vaccinate the animal to, um, to, to, against the coronavirus that I want to have you immune to. And then they're fine. The, the animals didn't have a problem once they were vaccinated. But, the, but then the second step was we exposed them to the virus that makes them sick. And now instead of just, you know, gradually onset making them sick, it gave them this fulminant, overwhelming, you know, sepsis and inflammation, and they died uh, very rapidly. Uh, the ferrets, you know, the ferrets, they didn't allow them to get to the final, final death stage, but they would have. They, they, when they sacrificed them, they were all, their pulmonary, their lungs were seriously inflamed. So it's looking like, it's kind of looking like what we see with COVID, in a way, this overshoot of inflammation, but this is artificially produced by the vaccine. 
And one of the one of the things the reason is it's like and this is this is true with humans, too, in this vaccine. Just think about this. So you have natural God given immunity to covid. Probably 30 percent of Europe and, and Asia had immunity by May of last year, based on the Karolinska Institute and the, and the geneticists in, in looking at it in, uh, in Russia. So they came up with these numbers through very sophisticated tests because it's not just about antibodies. The big lie here is that antibodies are your primary immune response to viruses. No, they're a cheap substitute. They are what you throw out as an immediate frontline force to stop a virus. But what you really do, what real immunity comes from, is what's called tissue immunity, T-cell, broad-spectrum tissue immunity. And that's what – so what we do when we give you this vaccine, and this apparently, you know, in cats too, apparently, you, let's say you've had the disease, and now you have this great, perfect, God-given immunity. And then we give you the vaccine. It wipes that out. It completely destroys your, your natural immunity to the disease we want you to be immune to. Does that make sense to begin with? And then when we give you the vaccine, then it makes this, it gives you a weird stylized antibody response. Well, as in the animals, the problem is that antibody response, when we're finding it out, look at what's happening around the world, that antibody response does not neutralize the virus. It does not neutralize, or whatever we want to call this thing that we're, we're vaccinating to, the spike protein. It does not neutralize that. It just coats it in some way that it allows it to come into your macrophages and then it can in the animals it, it overwhelmed the macrophage system the immune system and the animals died it was pretty dramatic in cats and they've done it you know they they claim oh we've done it in mice it's not so bad but the problem is there are some animals that are not good animal models so cats and ferrets are really good animal models for this disease don't you know if you don't want to find a temper if you don't want to find a fever don't take your temperature okay if you don't want to find the answer is bad, don't do an animal model that that actually works. And so the big two are the ferrets and cats. Now, people write to me all the time, please send me those data. Unfortunately, here's the problem. So I can't send you these papers to outline this. I have it in my bibliography. Some of them, though, were taken down. See, I found this out in February or January or February last year when they first started looking at the vaccines. I started reading the literature, and I went way back into the 70s and the basic science literature but subsequently, a bunch of that stuff's been scrubbed from the Internet because they don't want you to know. But even the stuff that's there, it's not like they wrote papers that said animals died and vaccines that we're using. You know, No, no, it's all buried in deep scientific jargon in the deep literature. And most people, even if I send them the paper, they can't find it. That's the problem. So I'm just telling you, I'll be glad to share my bibliography. It's on my website. You can find it. You can download it. You can find anything you want in there. But uh, it's well, not well, let me ask. Let me ask you another question. And, and thanks for all that information yeah. back on those studies. You know, Pfizer basically has done this research supposedly, and also we've seen the research coming out of Israel. And what's happened as far as you know, I guess over the age of sixty-five, you have a 40, 40 times higher death rate with the vaccine. But if these guys know this, Doctor Merritt, and I'm just asking you to speculate here. What's the point of this vaccine if it's not to heal people and not to give us immunity and we're having all of these side effects from this vaccine? Is this a eugenics protocol or what do you think the purpose is? Is it just to make money? I mean, why are they doing this? I don't think it's just to make money because I'm going to tell you when people realize what's going on here, they, they should burn. They might burn Pfizer down. I mean, Pfizer's stock is going to go in the tank when this whole thing comes out. So I don't think this is really could be explained just to make money. Now, the big guys figure they're going to make their money quick, get out, and they're going to be gone by the time this all unravels. But, you know, I, I do think there's something bigger afoot. I mean, 
you know, I can't speculate on motive, but there are people in the world. I feel like if we really take a good look at planet Earth, we look more like a ranch, you know, where there there's there's some distant owners that, that, you know, probably are the 150 guys that own 60 to 70 percent of the world's wealth. And we don't know their names. They live at a distance. So we never see them on the ranch. Right. And then there are all the the ranch hands. The, the on-site managers, the, the people that, that steer the cattle around. And we see those guys in, in our politics and our high medical uh, establishment and things like that. And you know who they care about. They care about themselves. And if you notice, the federal government has exempted themselves from the vaccine mandate. Don't you love that? Rules are just for the little people. And that's what gets to what we are. We are the cattle. I mean, look at they're experimenting on us and they've been experimenting on us for decades. This isn't new. You know, if people knew the actual facts about vaccines, they wouldn't take them. Like, let's let's take the influenza vaccine. That's a, that's just a simple one. And and I didn't start out to be an anti-vaxxer. I didn't. I, I believed everything they told me. And I started looking at the influenza vaccine because the nurses came to me and said, you know, we know you're kind of a libertarian. You know, what do you think about these mandates? This was like 2014, I think or maybe earlier, 2012. And I said, well, I, a mandate's immoral, unethical, and, and not ever you know, done in ethical medicine, but I'll look into it. And what I found out was shocking, that, that these things just don't work. And you know, you can look in, in, in the United States, on average, 67% of people get the flu vaccine, and we have a 0.02% mortality from flu every year, or flu-like illness. So what, what does an Estonia... They have a five percent vaccination rate, and they have a point zero two percent flu mortality. In other words, they have the same mortality, but what's the difference? They're taking ninety five percent less risk because flu vaccine is the number one risk for Guillain Barre. Prior to these vaccines, they're the worst. But Guillain Barre is ascending paralysis. Now, that's not the only thing. I mean, flu vaccine can cause all sorts of things, but the big payout from the government uh, board for compensation is Guillain Barre syndrome. And, and it's a disease I never saw in medical school or residency. It's all come out since we've been vaccinating everybody with the flu vaccine. So that's the kind of thing. Let me tell you another one that really pertains to this vaccine. I was on the NRAC when um, they were researching the Gulf War syndrome. I just happened to, I was doing a little, you know, walk around research. I was at Bethesda Naval Hospital and I ran into a colleague of mine who was involved in the, in the research on Gulf War syndrome. And as you know, people came back. It was about 34% of the guys that got fully vaccinated and went over to the Gulf War and came back and they had Gulf War syndrome. Probably, I think, about 25% overall had some version of it. And they came back and some of them were just mildly ill, but it was all sorts of things. At first, they thought it was psychological because they couldn't put a, a handle on it. But they, these guys started popping up with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis at four times the background rate. Okay, that's a fatal neurologic disease. It's the same thing Stephen Hawking's had, and he's the longest-lived per- person in the world with it, I think. So um, most people die within a couple years. So they started really looking, and they found out that all of the people with this problem, with, they, with not a myotrophic lateral sclerosis, but with Gulf War syndrome, had gotten their vaccine to go overseas, their anthrax vaccine, from one batch of the anthrax vaccine that had an adjuvant called squalene. They put these adjuvants in, which are just chemicals that make vaccines uh, more robust, give you a bigger immune response, right? Um, and the, so that was one batch of that, that that did this all. 
And it was, I mean, it was proved, in my opinion, beyond a shadow of a doubt, based on antibody studies of, of who had what. There's just no question. It was all in this group. And that was a vaccine that was rolled out just like this under emergency use authorization. Quick, quick, quick. No time for oversight. Squalene was a brand new adjuvant, never been used. So people, people were uh, hurt by this. And so the drug companies came out and said they were, they were pinged by the, by the people's families and friends and people on the, in the notes said, we don't want the squalene in our vaccines. And we were assured by the FDA and CDC we didn't have any vaccines that were to have this in it, including flu vaccines. Until 2017, guess what? They put squalene in the flu ad. So the flu ad that they're now mandating all the nurses to get, or the flu vaccine, that's one of them, and it's in other vaccines too. Because they love squalene because it does such a good response to immune, it gives you such a good, good, uh, inflammatory immune response immediately that they can measure. Well, let me tell you, it's also in this. So that, so what kind of psychopaths, when you look at motive, what kind of psychopaths who knew that they killed people using squalene in the Gulf War syndrome, uh, by putting squalene in the, in the adjuvant of the vaccine, who would put it in another vaccine? Okay. And when you answer that question, you'll know who's behind all this and they don't care about your health or my health. And here's one of the big tragedies. I have a friend who works at the VA. So he was one of those people. He went to the Gulf Wars in the Army. He was one of those people that took that batch of vaccine. He keeps getting letters saying, you know, uh, you realize you're still at four times the risk of amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Be advised you have free day care should you ever need it. And, um, and please report any neurologic symptoms to us. They go on and on. They send him this letter every year. Well, guess what they did, though? He works at the VA, and they forced him to get this vaccine that also has squalene in it. I just wanted to spit when I heard that. You think about it. This is the world we're in. The, the vaccine industry doesn't really care about you, and this is a war. The other thing is I'm absolutely convinced this is a war, and it's aimed at our children. You know, um, it, it is a, probably a depopulation thing. I mean, I people can people can laugh at that and they can call this conspiracy but if you really look at the facts about this vaccine the other thing we know from the japanese is it the when they took the the matrix m which is the adjuvant in this the thing that wraps around the genetic material that helps distribute this around the body don't you love the name matrix m so you're getting a a a, a jolt of the matrix when you take this it it distributes 64 times more in the ovaries than it does in the skeletal muscle now, is this by accident? I mean, I went back again. This is not, I can't find this now because they've scrubbed their site, but Novavax that developed the Matrix M before told us how this, this is wonderful for genetic therapy because we could target organs with this technology, the Matrix M technology. Well, if they can target organs, why do you think this is accidental? You see where we are? Well, you know, the crazy part about all of this stuff, when you get to the point where you're targeting the ovaries, and we know that when a woman is pregnant and she starts having secondary sexual differentiation because of the Y chromosome of the male, suddenly the ovaries become testicles. So in essence, we could be targeting the testicles and the ovaries at the same time, which could reduce the sperm count and also stop the production of eggs. Is there a possibility that these women who are pregnant who are taking these vaccines, that they can reduce the amount of eggs that their offspring are going to have from birth because women have all their eggs at birth? Is there a possibility that they will no longer be able to have children after their mother had this vaccine, kind of like we had with diethylsilbestrol back in the 50s right. and the 60s? I mean, are we going to have another huge group of people that are having to go to fertility clinics and then to only find out that even if they take 
some type of stimulant to produce eggs that they have no eggs to produce. What do you think is going to happen with this? Right. And I'm not an OBGYN doctor, so I can't speak to the details, but it sure looks like that's what could happen. But the bottom line is we don't know because, again, the psychopaths running this show didn't really do their due diligence. And we know this because, you know, I don't know if you've heard about shedding, but people are very concerned about this. They, they're they not vaccinated. They go around vaccinated people and they start getting symptoms. Well, and and so it was it, we started talking about this shedding problem. And, and like I'm on uh, the five docs with Sherry Tenpenny and, and Larry Pileski and those guys. And it's, it's you know, got Christian Northrup and, and Carrie Made. Those are those are the five. And, they, and, and Christian Northrup's an OBGYN specialist. She's famous for reproductive health in women and women's health. And what we're seeing in people that are being shed on, in other words, somebody, you get, you go back to your office, you're not vaccinated, and then you start having symptoms. Well, there are kind of two groups of symptoms. One is kind of a viral thing that can happen to anybody. I mean, you, you know, but people feel sick around people that are vaccinated. There's a nonspecific viral-like symptom. But the one that we should pay attention to is, bleeding so suddenly little girls go back to school and they start having uh, early menstrual periods that they're too young for or they're around vaccinated people and this happens women of childbearing age start having abnormal menses they they spot twice a month or they have a huge amount of bleeding or something goes on and then postmenopausal women start bleeding i mean also nosebleeds and things i had a huge nosebleed probably from being shed on but the point is that what Dr. Northrop says about this is when you see that kind of menstrual problem happening, you're, you're, you're looking at a damage to the reproductive system. Now, that's just from the secondary effects. But, the, but if it's shedding the spike protein, that's what the vaccine makes in people. You just not maybe getting a big enough, as big a dose as you are if you actually got vaccinated, but it's giving you symptoms and that should be worrisome. So we found that I found the EMA and then another colleague of mine found the FDA, both of these uh, medical agencies put out circulars. The EMA did a big conference on this in 2007 or 8. So we know they knew about shedding. But when we were talking about this, we heard crickets from anybody that could enlighten us, right? Well, so the FDA says in their circular, um, we don't exactly know what's being shed. <laughs> Isn't that comforting? It could be genetic material. It could be infectious material like viruses. And it could be some recombinant new Frankenstein thing. They didn't use the word Frankenstein. I just threw that in for effect. So anyway, they don't know what it's shedding. And they say, it seems to be the first 10 weeks after you get the vaccine, but older people and people with immune compromise can shed forever. Um, and we know that it, it's, it has some harm that we're, they don't say we know it's harmful effects, but we believe you should protect these people. And then they mention elderly, neonates, and the immune compromised. But what are they? What did they tell us? Nothing. They told us it was safe in pregnant women. That it was safe to be uh, given out to the whole world, and they had no long-term data on this problem. You know, that's just a criminal enterprise. Well, you know what? You know what's interesting? We say they did not do their due diligence, and I agree with you. They did not. But how do we know they did not do their due diligence? Is this the exact outcome that they wanted? That they well, wanted to have this? Sure, that's possible. I'm not saying this could all be just be. You know, I'm not again, whether they did or not, this never should have been released on the public. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, now tell me about myocarditis, because you have some pretty interesting statistics on that. I really want you to cover that because that's really important. And I believe you said within five years, there was a 66 percent death rate associated with myocarditis. Can you give us that's more detail to my listeners? By, yeah, that's why I was told by a cardiologist that was talking to me. And he was talking to me about two things. He was talking to me kind of under the table about this. 
uh, myocarditis and about cancer. He, w- he was making the point that in his practice, he's, there are these cancers that involve the heart, and he's seen two in 20 years, and now he's seen like over 20 in two months. So wow. cancer is coming out, which we can talk about. But myocarditis seems to be predominantly affecting young males. So I, you know, I was looking at the military. Why, why in God's name we we vaccinating the military other than to destroy our national security? But so when you look at the military, if they had 20 people die of COVID, all of all the during 2020, all the services put together, they they're they're a healthy they're a healthy group, but. They've had over 600, you know, 600 cases of myocarditis that we can attribute to the vaccine. That's because when you go through that, they usually have about 800 cases a year. Um, and now they've had, uh, 1400 this year already. So it's going to be more than that. But if you look at the, the five year death rate, again, we've killed 20 times plus more people in the military than COVID ever did. Why are we vaccinating people? So that's my concern. But yeah, myocarditis is a really big problem. And this is the thing that we're seeing killing 15-year-olds and 20-year-old men. I mean, it's a tragedy. There is no... Explain to everybody what myocarditis does and how it works. It's an inflammation in the heart. They don't really completely know why the heart gets inflamed in this problem. You know, honestly, if my son got it, what I would do is I would give him a big, big dose of ivermectin and I'd keep him on it for a while and I'd do it for like at least eight weeks and see if that made a difference. I don't know if the hospitals are even thinking along those terms, but we know that that helps with the spike protein problem. So why not do it? It's, it's from the vaccine. Let's, let's try and ameliorate this. I've got that stuff on my website, but that's, that's the issue is that uh, it's a it's an inflammation and it happens after the vaccine. Well, what does the vaccine? What does and I'm using that term, but we shouldn't. We should. But if we we learned from that FDA uh, guidance to their pharmaceutical people, I was telling you about about the shedding. What they really call these things are viral based genetic therapies. VBGTs is what they call them. And they're they're this. That's what these things were designed to be. These were not designed to be vaccines. This technology was designed for cancer care and for gene therapy, but it could never meet the safety bar because you can be sued for those types of therapies. You can't be sued for vaccines. So they took it to the indemnified area. Um, but yeah, that's the, these, these things are causing, uh, not only my, I mean, they're causing inflammation all over. And the way they work is when you take the vaccine, it literally turns your body into a production facility of the spike protein, which is crazy. And to me, this is just a crazy idea to begin with. I mean, it makes trillions of copies of the spike protein all over your body all at once. Now, let's. so this is why it's when, when we see these old people die of brain bleeds and sudden catastrophic things related to the vaccine, it's, you know, or just waking up dead. You know, how many people do you, do you hear these stories all the time? And you're going to hear more. So my uncle Joe got the vaccine and he just didn't wake up the next morning. 12 year old kid I just read just didn't wake up the next morning. Um, it's because they're having an overwhelming response and they're producing the spy protein that goes all over, including your brain. And, and, and you just, your immune system, if your immune system isn't perfect, you're going to go down with it. That's why in Israel, when they, they looked at when the independent guys looked at the Israeli data, they showed that early on in the program, when 12.5 percent of people had been vaccinated, what you quoted is right. Forty times the death rate of co- from covid, essentially, of, of elderly people taking the vaccine, people over 65. So um, so think about your immune system, and how it should work. 
When we go out in nature, and this is why the lockdowns made things worse, by the way, everything, if you want to think about motive, everything they did made us more apt to die. That's right. 2020, everything. The masks, which are damaging to your CO2 problem, and it's damaging because it recycles bad bacteria into your lungs. I mean, it just goes on and on. Besides the damaging to psychological devastation to our children. So don't ever put a mask on for any reason again. But the, the mask problem was a problem. Lockdowns, by the way, don't you, we, we've accepted that term, but we always talk about quarantine and we only in history quarantine the sick, not the well. How did we get the term lockdown? That's a, that's a term you use for prisoners. Let's just make it, let's just pay attention to what they're saying. We are prisoners. We're being treated like prisoners. So they did all these things. And uh, they made our immune system worse. But And fear, fear and anxiety make your immune system worse. We know that. We know there's a psychological component to wellness. And and um, communing with God, they shut down the churches. All these things make your immune system worse. So anyway, what happens in nature, though, had they not done this, had we been Sweden, they're Swedish, they had 1.95 million school children that didn't lock down, that didn't wear masks, that didn't social distance, and didn't miss a day of school in 2020. Not one of them died of COVID. What they did is they, they have great immune systems. And they, oh, by the way, their teachers didn't get sick at any higher rate. So they didn't spread it to other people. Why are we damaging our children in the United States? Why are we not standing up for our children? But what normally happens to you and me and all of, all of our children, everybody, we go out in nature and we, we get involved in, in other people's lives and we breathe in all sorts of stuff and we expose to pathogens and toxins and all sorts of things. And our bodies learn immunity that's what the immune system is for so when we learn immunity we learn to we we get a few of the copies if if viruses are what they say they are and there's some doubt about this when all this washes out but assuming the old model we get a few copies of the virus in our nose okay and we would are then we would we would sense it we would send out the shock troops it's like okay Send, send a few Marines over there and see if you can knock out those, those, those bad invaders. Well, in a young person, that's going to be easy because the immune system's on high burn. They send out their immune uh, troops right away, and it knocks out the thing in your nose, and they don't even get sick when they get immune from COVID. But if you're older and you're slower, you may not be able to stop it at the nose level. It may get into your lung or something else, and you may have to have more treatment. And then if you're really not doing well with your immune system, it can kill you. But that's a few copies of the virus that start, get a toehold, and then manufacture themselves in your nose and your mucous membranes. Compare that to when you have no warning and you're given a vaccine that now gives you trillions of copies. You see the problem? I mean, and then well, it's over, it, it overwhelms the entire system and, and that increases the risk of the anaphylaxis like you were talking about. And, of course, it causes the massive cytokine storm you know, from the macrophages, which causes the body to inflame and lungs to fill with fluid and cause pneumonia. But let me ask you another question, too. I had a, I'm getting all kinds of questions coming in while you're talking. Uh, one lady is saying, I wonder if you've heard of anything about the widespread itchiness without a rash being a symptom related to the COVID people who are catching from the vaccinated. Yeah. Did anyone in expand, experience, experience this widespread itching? What have you heard about that? Well, you know, the classic example, the classic, uh, This I got this from Judy Mikovits. The classic response is, I mean, and by say classic, the, the classic model of viruses, because I'm going to tell you, they may have been lying to us for 40, 50 years about the exact method that viruses, if they exist or not. So I the, agree. Classic, the classic model is that you have um, 
in your DNA, you have an R, you have, you have embedded virus DNA in your DNA. And that when you take the vaccine, that this stuff may be expressed and you start because people that take the vaccine also are having out, outbreaks of viral type illness, you know, sh- shingles, uh, uh, cold sores, herpes, all sorts of things that are coming out suddenly after the vaccine because their own immune system isn't dampening it down. So, and that's why they're getting cancers too. So that can come out of them and go to the victim. I mean, the, the innocent victim that didn't take the vaccine. That's possible. But the other thing is, is that the new kind of the new model is that when you get a rash like this, um, it's, it's a t- your, your, your body's toxified with something. We can call it a virus. We can call it, it could happen because you've got, you know, your cells are, are toxic with something. And that's the, that's, that's the body's response. It tries, it gives you diarrhea. You know, to get rid of things, it gives you diarrhea. You know, we always kind of thought diarrhea is probably your body trying to expel poisons and toxins and, and disease. And it, and it is, you know, it is. And, and, you know, colds and sneezing and getting, you know, whenever you get rid of things out of the body, there are only so many places it can go. It can go out your urine. It can go out your feces and it can go out your lungs. And then it can go out your skin sometimes, and that's part of it. So that may be also it. So they may be getting spike protein, and they and 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 it could be a combination. The spike protein probably is what's being shed, but who knows? The spike protein could come out of them, uh, the vaccinated. You get some of it, and it goes into you, and now your your immune system is a little bit dampened for a minute, and your viruses come out. Who knows? I mean, well, also, also, I heard you say on another interview because I, I love watching you on interviews. Thanks. You were talking about how they had to put something into the injection that would allow your immune system to downregulate so that the spike proteins wouldn't be expelled and your body would start manufacturing them. And you right. felt as though that might have increased the risks of cancer and these cancer rates. Could you go into that a little more detail, please? Well, I think you you hit it right there. I think it's, <laughs> you said they admit that they the one thing they admit. See, here's what people need to know. We don't know what's in this vaccine. We still don't know. Most probably people in Pfizer don't know. It's only the people at the top of the research program know. And with an emergency use authorization, you've probably seen these pictures. The bottles go out. The, pe- the doctors open up the, uh, the, what should be the product information sheet, and it's blank. And it says on there, left blank purposely, because they don't have to tell us what's in there during an EUA. They only have to tell us the part that is doing the function for which they got approval. So they could put all sorts of crap in here. Excuse my French, but they could put all sorts of junk in here and we wouldn't know it. And they don't have to tell us. That is the problem when you allow these people to rush, rush, push, push. Oh, no time for independent review or or analysis. You know, that's the problem. This is you get what you pay for kind of thing. Well, so we don't know for sure. But they did admit that they could not. You would normally you would just reject foreign DNA or foreign RNA. So to make it. So it actually stays in you long enough to do its job. They put it in a, in a coating that would make it linger longer and they dumbed down and they, and they added a little bit of genetic material apparently that dumb, that told your immune system to go to sleep for a little while so they could get it into your, your machinery. That's the way I understand it. Now that explains what we're seeing because Number one, it, it explains the cancers because again, you have viral DNA in your DNA and you have cancer DNA in your DNA. You know, people, people, you know, we talk about the junk DNA. In other words, we know a very, you have a huge genomes. If you humans have lots of genetic material and we only know what a small part of it does. 
you know, they call it junk DNA. Well, it's probably not junk. It does things, but we just don't know what it does. But part of that junk DNA is embedded cancer genes in there that you keep under control. Most people, why do you get cancer at 60 but not at 20? It's not because your testosterone levels are high, right? Or your estrogen level. Oh, you got too much postmenopausal estrogen in your system. No, the estrogen is higher in a 20-year-old female than it is a, in a 70-year-old in a, in a female. But why is it the 70-year-old that gets breast cancer? Well, her immune system is not as good. She can't, those, those, we know about the BRCA genes, for example, for breast cancer. She cannot keep those uh, controlled. And one of the ways we do it is through methylation. And this is something, again, I learned from Judy Mikovits because this is my field. But she said, people will ask, you know, because I asked her, I said, are we going to be GMO humans if we take this vaccine? Is that people are asking me that? And I don't see how RNA can get into your DNA. And she said, well, it possibly could, but probably not. What it's going to do, though, is RNA is a very significant what they call epigenetic controller of your DNA. In other words, when you take this That's RNA. exactly right. It, it, it controls the function of your DNA in ways that we haven't fully worked out, even in the best of times. We just know it happens. And we know that part of it is through methylation. So this could potentially go in and not up your DNA. It could, you know, so it's not functional, so you can't reproduce. It could do all sorts of stuff. We don't know. Again, this is, this is untested experimental uh, technology that's been released on the whole world. I just, it just... But no, you, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you, and you know, some of the top researchers have been working on epigenetics now for decades. Right. And they're realizing that the epigenetics basically means that if this generation has this problem that is expressed later in the genome several generations down the, you know, down the genetic tree, I guess, as far as your reproducting grandchildren, great-grandchildren, et cetera, they don't have any idea what's going to do. It's like you said, and, you know, before you said that, you know, this should have been tested. We should have seen this. I mean, we have a problem now. That if you're a grandmother and you're shedding spike proteins and you pick up your granddaughter, is that going to affect the granddaughter, her ability to reproduce? And yeah. the question is, I believe you brought it up this way. That should have been tested. We should have seen what was going to happen long-term wise with this. So this doesn't turn into a giant eugenics protocol in which we drop the population of the planet by 7 billion, which is kind of their stated goal anyhow. So what's crazy to me is this. We have these people in these hospitals and these doctors who are supposed to be people of medicine, and they're using a drug called remdesivir. Yeah. And we've done extensive shows on remdesivir, and we know that it causes kidney failure, causes cascading organ failure. Why in the world, Doc, are they doing this? Why, Dr. Merritt, are they giving people in the hospitals a standard medical protocol remdesivir, and they know that it kills them? Because many doctors are now quitting because they say they're tired of killing people in the ER. What the heck is going on? Well, you're exactly right. But the doc what people need to understand, and, and I'm the past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, that group has been fighting against government-controlled medicine since 1943. Had they won, we wouldn't be doing this. This wouldn't be happening. But this is because there is big money flowing to these hospitals to control them, and this is how it worked. So essentially they're being paid, and if they don't take the – when you get paid by somebody, you do their bidding. So what happened is um, big money from people unknown to me fed through the Rockefeller Foundation, the Gates Foundation, and all sorts of foundations to the NIH and specifically to the NIAID part that Tony Fauci has authority over. Over the last 40 years, he had $800 billion of allocation authority, essentially, through the NIAID. That's pretty impressive for a guy that's, you know, 
you know, one person. I mean, no president of the United States has that. They have to go through Congress, but not at the NIAID. They can go through their little boards, and you know how that works. So they can they can distribute this stuff. So he distributed NIH funds not only to labs. I guess um, I heard David Martin estimate about 120 million or 120 billion went to spending money to take genetic to labs all over the world to take genetic material from nature and make it pathogenic, damaging to humans. Great. That was one of the things. But the rest of the money got spent for these big research uh, universities like the one near me that that they they can't they won't ever tell you the word hydroxychloroquine or or ivermectin. But you have to have remdesivir. They kick you out of the hospital, essentially. So why is that? Because if all these research facilities overbuilt based on believing they had a steady stream of NIH money. And then now if they if they have doctors in their employ that are that are trying to use a hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, if they don't fire them, they'll lose next year's funding. You see how this works? So Tony Fauci, they want to make him the ultimate bad guy. He's just the bag man. He's the guy that took this big you know a bag man in the mob is the guy who takes the mob boss's money gives it to the capos, the guys that, I mean, I'm I'm not that versed with the, the godfather, but I think this is how it works. The capos are the people that actually do the job, and if they don't do what the, the mob boss wants, then the bag man goes out and breaks their legs, you know, hey, give the money back. You didn't do what I told you to do. Well, that's kind of Tony uh, Fauci doesn't break their legs, but he goes out and withdraws next year's funding, and um, that's known to happen. So, that's why they're not doing the right thing. And, and Remdesivir, I'm sure, did you have Brian? I'm sure you've had Dr. Brian. Oh, Martin. yeah. Oh, he's been on. It was great. Yeah. He's a good friend of mine. And, and you know, he's awesome about Remdesivir. I mean, I knew it was a bad drug, but I knew it just on a very superficial level. He just ran that dog into the dirt and just figured out every part about it. And it's, uh, but what he didn't know that I told him is that I told him, and I don't think I have it handy here, but I told him the actual, uh, like I told you, MF-59 is the lab number for – oh, I do have it. MF-59 is the lab number for squalene. Well, GS-5734 is the lab number for remdesivir when it was developed at Fort Detrick, the USAMRID bioweapons facility that we run. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. I got, we got to say that again. Remdesivir <laughs> was developed at a bioweapons lab? Yeah, in our bioweapons lab. In now, our bioweapons lab, a lot of Fort Detrick. So the patent now, I'm not saying they, they, they started the process, and it would people can, it's GS5734. I got this from somebody. Unbelievable. Yeah, I know. So, so but, but the patent is owned by partially by the NIH. You know, it's government funding. The patent is owned by the NIH, and I guess Tony, maybe Tony Fauci personally has some money into this, but whatever. There's lots of money, and so... They really want you to push that. And I heard for reasons I don't know, and I, maybe I heard this from Dr. Artis that recently, that see, they bought up all the remdesivir from the right. world that nobody else has it. Well, why would they do that? You know, on any other day, they say, oh, we need to take care of those poor Biafrans before we take care of our people. But now it's like, no, 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 they don't get anything. If this really worked, <laughs> you know, what's going on here? So, and I'm, well, 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 I got, I got, I got to say something here real quick. I've got a friend of mine who's in the hospital right now, and I found out yesterday he's doing horrible. He's doing absolutely horrible. He's 62 years old. He has the COVID, and I called him up and I sent him the links. I sent him Dr. Artis's links. I sent him all the research showing the kidney and cascading organ failure from Demdesivir. I sent it to him. I sent it to his wife. And they tried not to let him get the remdesivir, and the hospital gave it to him anyhow. And he's been on it for five days now, and he's almost dead. His name's Jimmy. Oh my god! And I'm so I'm so angry. I just found this out 
you know, last night. And so I, I knew you were coming on today. The thing that bothers me, and I guess more than anything else, is that we know that these doctors are being controlled by this NIH money, I guess. But isn't there any type of conscience in these guys that are intentionally – I mean, what's going on with this, Doc? That's another point. Okay. So I – you know, and my and I have my son's still in medical training, so there's a pyramid of things happening here. So at the the people I'm talking about that the NIH and Tony Fauci bought are the people on the top of these universities and these big hospitals that took the research funds, and and took the other funds. So whatever they they're 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 they've sold their soul. We can't save them, but they're usually not the treating physician. Then on the very bottom you have. The residents, the medical students, the interns, people like that, they're under the auspices of somebody else. So I give them a moral pass in all this. But what we're discussing right now are the people in the middle. They, they're out of their training, but they work for hospitals. This came about 67%, I think, roughly, of doctors were independent of hospitals until Obamacare. And now they all work for hospitals. I mean, there are very few independent free market doctors. So there need to be more, and that's we're working on that. But But – those are the guys right now that are there in Germany in 1943. Okay, they are taking the money. They're some of them. Wow. Are, some of them are soulless. They don't. They just have no conscience. I mean, listen to that Mayo Clinic cardiologist as she said. I just wish that you know she had tweeted out. I just wish these people would go off. These unvaccinated would go off and die because they're clogging up my my ICU and taking all the respiratory resources. Really, we shouldn't be treating these people. They should just go. They should stay home. I just, you know, just here. So here we have, uh, you know, a, a corrupt system filled by consciousness, you know, psychopaths that don't have any empathy for human beings. What are we talking about here? There are people like that, but there are also a bunch of people that really know better. They're stuck. They, they, they're, they're in the hospital. They're working. They've got a paycheck. They've got, you know, a mortgage and kids and spouse, and they're just. They don't want to leave their jobs. But to them, I say, it's Germany 1943, guys, and you have to decide, are you going to stay in a hospital that is killing people by omission and commission? They've simple omissions by not doing simple out, by not recommending outpatient treatment. They got on board early on and said, no, 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 there's no outpatient treatment. You just have to come in if you got a problem. And then they turn people away at the door to go die. Then they don't give them ivermectin, which has clearly been shown to decrease mortality, morbidity. And so is hydroxychloroquine. It just happens to be right now the ivermectin seems to be because you can treat people late with ivermectin. Hydroxychloroquine is really an early drug. The reason it works so well, like in Africa, is because they have it over the counter. They don't have to wait for an appointment with the doctor and all that stuff. So they get it within if you get it within 24, 48 hours, you starting to get sick. It just goes away, whatever you got. So that's a different drug. That's that's early. But the ivermectin is late. And not only are they not allowed to talk about it or to give it, but they're kind of, they're in a bubble also. They're in an intellectual bubble where they never hear about the, the papers and the literature. Everything's being censored to them. So there's some people probably in the hospital that still don't get the word. I've been trying to feed my son a bunch of stuff. But the, but the problem is, you'd be surprised how little gets filters into those people at the university bubbles. The, but the people that know need to get out. Because... Well, well, you know, the, yeah, the thing that's so frustrating to me, my sister's an MD and she's also got her doctorate from Harvard. And, and what's frustrating is she's told me personally, 
she said that, you know, we're taught that we can never admit we're wrong because if we do, we're going to have a liability issue. And she goes, and the problem with all that is, is that we're not given current literature because we're only given literature by the manufacturers of the drugs that are doing our updating training. Right. And so, so we're caught in a situation that if we don't study on our own and do things on our own, we simply never get exposed to the information that you're talking about. And I'm sure that's the same thing you found, you know, but this week I did a little, a little, how should I say, a parody in which we had a guy come in, you know, acting as Klaus Schwab. And he was talking about how we all had to take, get, how, how we all had to get on the last train to Auschwitz. And yeah. that if you take the vaccine, it doesn't matter if you've gotten on the train or not because you're already on the train. I mean, what's going to be the death rate from this, Doc? I mean, how bad is this going to get within four, five, 10, 15 years? Well, I'm concerned. I've got to tell you, this cancer is just popping up like, you know, tulips in the spring. I, I got to say, we're in real trouble with the cancer rate. And I think, see, that's the other point about this being the Auschwitz, the German experience. Uh, I studied extensively. I've got a paper out there, The Lessons of Carl Brandt, which is every doctor should read. I mean, well, anybody should read, in my opinion. It's on my website. But the, the Carl Brandt was the senior medical doctor at the end of the war for Hitler. And he was actually a good guy. He was he was really trying his best, but he didn't get out of an immoral system when he should have, because you can't you can't be a good guy in an immoral system at some point. And that's what's happening to these people. And um, oh, you asked me a question. I got off the subject about it. Oh, informed consent. The problem is this cancer thing's going to be bad. And I think if we the, the reason that, that we hung him and six other doctors after Nuremberg, he didn't personally kill anybody. He tried to save a lot of people's lives. He actually operated. He was a trauma surgeon. He saved. He went, jumped in, did surgery, tried to save people. But they they were hung because they were coercing people to take an to take part in an experiment, i.e., the prisoners in in the Auschwitz and Birkin or uh, Buchenwald and stuff, and without informed consent. Now, what are we doing? Oh, here's 125,000, uh, you know, extra bonus points on your Starbucks if you get the vaccine. Here's, I love the lap dances in Las Vegas. That's probably the funniest one. Uh, a joint in Colorado, you know, free, <laughs> free train ride for the kiddies to get the vaccine. But now the real coercion is you can't keep your job unless you get your vaccine. That's coercion. I mean, that is absolute coercion. And, and not telling them informed consent, like you've got a significantly increased risk of cancer if you take this vaccine. I mean, I can tell you the numbers really easily. Like brain, t just as, now this is from July, but I looked at a very a bunch of things like brain tumors. Okay, in 31 years of the VAERS, from 1990 to now, we they only reported 263 brain tumors they thought were related to the to some vaccine, and that's all vaccines put together which is an average of eight per year. We already we have 195 reported just for that one tumor. You know, and then you look at leukemia, it's an average of 48 per year. We already have 229 reported just for this year. So it's going to be bad. I mean, we're seeing it in young people too. Um, you know, active duty people that, that take the vaccine and now have myocarditis and brain tumors. I mean, it's, that's, that's a real story. It's sad. It's terrible. So th that's a big one. And, you know, uh, there's a Luke Montagnier had that video that kind of went viral for a while. You don't see now, but it's, it's people said, if you take the vaccine, you'll be dead in three years. OK, well, I asked Judy Mikovits about that. And she said she she don't she knows him. She called the office and his secretary said, no, he didn't really say that. But they censored what he really said. And what he said is, if you take the vaccine and then wear a mask, you're probably going to be dead in three years. Why is that? Well, because a mask 
gives you CO2 retention, which increases inflammation, which might trigger this thing. So he thinks it's a trigger. You can tell. He's a he's a uh, virologist, Ph. I mean, uh, uh, Nobel laureate. So he thinks it's a trigger. He said if you take another vaccine of any kind, it might trigger this, and you'd be dead in three years. So I think he's looking at things like the tumors, like the antibody-dependent enhancement. There's multiple factors that can take you down. I have a thing on my website for people that, you know, a lot of people got snockered. Let's face it. They didn't have the informed consent. They didn't really know what this was, and they had been command and conditioned over years of taking flu vaccines to just do what the FDA said, CDC said. Oh, it's that season. This year it's COVID. Last year it was flu, but this year you take the COVID vaccine. Well, if you do that and you have vaccine remorse, if you go to my website, I do have up-to-date, I try and up-to-date it every week, ideas about how we can ameliorate this. Well, so, the, the, and by the way, doctor's website is themedicalrebel.com. I'll repeat that, www.themedicalrebel.com. Also, her Telegram channel is freedom slash doc, and we'll have all this posted on our Instagram. We'll also send it out with her information that we send out the email to a whole bunch of you guys this afternoon. Now, one other thing I want to talk to the listeners about today, because you really understand this about the Gillian Bray and full paralysis and how it's ascending paralysis. Tell us how it starts and how it ends up with you with, from, from the vaccine. Well, I can tell you about the patient I saw. And keep in mind, I've been in medicine 45 years. I studied neurology at the Queen Square Institute of Neurology, which is like the premier neurologic hospital, of 800-bed hospital just for neurology patients from all over the world. I never saw a case of Guillain-Barre back then. This is 1978. Um, and then, I, then as we had more and more flu vaccine given out, I started hearing more stories or met people that had had it, that had resolved but here is my first case, okay, of actually seeing it myself in real time. So a woman de- develops. She's in her 70s. She's living alone. She's doing fine. She's not, not, not sick. She uh, starts having leg weakness. She gets admitted to the hospital, and now the um, leg weakness becomes – because after about a week, she couldn't take care of herself. Daughter couldn't take care of herself, so she goes in the hospital. At this point, she's able – on a Sunday, she tells my colleague that she's got back pain, and that she's got leg weakness. I guess he asked her about the back pain. She was complaining of the leg weakness. So he calls me because I'm a spine surgeon to see if I could do a consult on her. This is before I got cancel cultured out of the, my contract. But anyway, so I saw her. And by the next day, she couldn't open her eyes. She couldn't open her mouth to talk. Well, that's that's what we call ascending paralysis. It kind of starts at your feet and your toes and works up your legs. You get weaker and weaker, and it kind of moves up your body until you can have what she had, which is a it's called a locked-in syndrome. Now, some people will recover from this, but we don't know who they will be. You know, and, and, it's, and some people are incomplete recovery. And you're so, seeing, and you're, and you're seeing this more and more from this vaccine. Oh yeah, again, on average, we'd see 130 a year, and and up in the first six months of this year, we saw 1,430. Unbelievable, Doctor Merritt. I want to thank you. We're about out of time. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on the show. Today. You've been absolutely as expected. You've been excellent again. <laughs> I just appreciate you so much. And we'll definitely have you back on again. And, guys, I want to thank Dr. Merritt. Remember, go to her website. Very, very important. Dr. Lee Merritt. And also, guys, remember this. You know, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So we've got to stand the ground right now. Dr. Merritt was right. One of the things they did, they made us socially isolate. They made us basically not go to church anymore. They took away our spiritual aspect of our lives. This is all part of it to to increase the stress, increase the cortisol, and increase the effectiveness of what they're doing to us as far as killing, I guess, as many people as they want or whatever their goal here is. I don't know. But, guys, thank you so much for listening today. Austin, go ahead and finish it up. 
and we will talk to you guys tomorrow. God bless you guys. Absolutely awesome show as always, and she made a really valid point. And I remember we brought this up last year. This was the first time in history that we've ever seen quarantining of healthy individuals with no symptoms, meaning everybody had to stay in their house, locked down, even if you were perfectly healthy, extremely strong, and had no problems and no symptoms of anything, you were still locked down. That was the big, big, big eye-opener for me back then is when I realized, okay, none of this makes sense with what we're doing with these measures. So again, thank you for the continued support. I want to give everybody a heads up. We have more of the vitamin C powder antioxidant, and we have the quercetin plus back in stock. So be sure to check it out on the website at healthmasters.com. Thank you again for everything you guys have continued to do. Thank you for standing up, getting truth, getting freedom out there, and continuing, continually just look at what's happening and ask questions to what's going on because that is one of the most important, most effective things we can all do right now is ask questions, not just blindly consent to something because somebody tells you to do so. And that doesn't mean you have to be all the time militant about something, but when somebody starts telling you you need to go get a gene therapy experimental injection or you're not going to be able to do this or do that, got to kind of ask yourself, is it really about your health or is it about compliance? Thank you again for the support. You guys have a blessed, safe, awesome night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow as always. Broadcasting to the U.S. and around the world by way of clear digital audio, 22,500 miles above the planet. This is the Global Star Radio Network.